Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes, check it out, and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Yosef Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. Pat is back, and the audio in this interview is amazing, not like our last one. On this episode, Pat and I discuss what's new with Pat. Pat shares with us how he got on a Bill Hartman's Intensive 1.0. Pat also shares with us how he got on at the Sales to Performance Seminar that Aaron Davis and Pat Estes from Train Adapt Evolve put on. I asked Pat, will he change anything about his programming from what he learned from the Intensive 1.0 and the Sales Performance Seminar at Train Adapt Evolve? I asked Pat to explain what the Spire Tiger is. I asked Pat about the next event Dr. Ben House is putting on at Jack Wheeler's Ranch. For more information, go over to the show notes. I asked Pat if anything that he learned from the Intensive 1.0 and the Sales Performance Seminar at Train Adapt Evolve will change his design of Mass 3. I asked Pat to give his take on what he considers kinetic and kinematic variables to be. And finally, I asked Pat what he was currently studying at the time that we recorded this podcast. As always, with Pat, this was a savage episode, jam-packed full of information. I actually love talking to this guy. I know that everyone who listens to these interviews loves listening to Pat. The man's just an absolute legend. So guys, I hope you really enjoy it. Davidson, we are recording, bro. How are you? I'm doing well, Robbie. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you again. As always, it's an absolute pleasure. An absolute yeah. pleasure. Uh, How are so you doing? I'm 
Listen, woke up this morning. As I always say to you, I live in a first world country. I am extremely privileged. You know, I, uh, every day I think I'm very lucky I came out of the vagina that I came out of. <laughs> I, I didn't expect that as the answer, but I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad that that's what, what, what we got there. Yeah, I'm telling you, we're straight into it. So, come here. how have you been? What's, what's new? What's in, what's in the world? How's Hype Gym? How are the clients going? Your, your clients are training, and what's the story with any speaking engagements? Well, I mean, uh, life is good. Um, you know, Hype Gym is, is uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I think I mentioned it before here, but it's, it's, it's a work environment that has made all the difference for me in my quality of life living wow. in New York. And, um, you know, I, I was actually talking with somebody about this yesterday where I really think for the first time in my adult life, I'm actually happy in my work environment. Like I, I kind of like going to work. Um, because the other, the other people that work at hype gym with me are, are like great human beings that I really get along with. We have, um, an incredible training group that, that like works out at 1230 almost every day. And, um, the management people are, are, are awesome people. And, um, I didn't even think that was possible in life that you could actually like the other people that you work with on a day in and day out basis. So uh, you know, it really, it didn't happen working at, at either college that I worked at, like, uh, peak performance had major drawbacks. Um, and this place is, is phenomenal. Like, uh, and, and it's just incredible how much of a difference that makes in your life overall. So, you know, I, I, I feel very lucky. Um, I couldn't be happier on, on that front. Like my day in and day out life is, is better than it's ever been in my life. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Uh, in terms of, of like big things going on, um, it's been nice for me to be able to sit on the student side of things recently. Like, uh, I was able to, to go to IFAST and be one of the, the people that was, that was able to be there for Bill Hartman's The Intensive, which was a two and a half day, uh, seminar where he really went through his, his thoughts on movement. And, um, and then the following weekend, two weeks ago, I was able to be another in attendance for Aaron Davis and Pat Estes, who are from Austin, Texas, and they're, uh, they make up Train, Adapt, Evolve, and they put on the seminar uh, at Drive 495 in New York that was called Cells to Performance. And um, so it was like two weeks in a row of, like, of really brilliant information that, that's different than, than I think what anybody else is talking about. Um, you know, Bill's, Bill's model, I know he's still, still working it out and, and he wanted the intensive to be a small group of, of high level coaches who could listen to his thoughts and critique his thoughts because I know he's not ready to like, to like really make it super public yet. Cause I think he's got some fairly revolutionary ideas, but he doesn't want to just throw trash out to the world mm -hmm. and say that it's, it's like correct. He wants to make sure that that model is, is uh, critiqued and, and analyzed and kind of reviewed in many ways before it's, it's put forth. Um, and I totally respect that. So I, I won't go ahead and share like everything about that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, out, of, out of respect to him, I, I will talk about it um, in a way that I think is fair to not just like completely tease the audience. Um, and, but I, I think that in many ways, um, Aaron Davis, like his, his training model and his ideas about, what's happening at the cellular level um, are, man, he's a brilliant guy. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, 
and they really they they went very well with what Bill was talking about. So so if I was going to summarize and and talk about what I think Bill would be okay with me talking about regarding his model is um is that a lot of you know, I think um, I, I liked Jim. Jim Ferris was also at the intensive, and and he used the hashtag "physics comes first. and And I think that's sort of the the big message that um, you know we can all get hung up on neurology being the driver of of movement, but in in many ways, basic basic physics uh, comes before neurology and sets the sets the stage. And you know, the the big pieces of basic physics that Bill was talking about. Um, it was it was in respect to gyroscopes and in 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 regards to gyroscopes the relationships between torque and angular momentum and ultimately like net angular momentum uh which is called precession um so you know to understand the basics of his model the easiest place to start is is talking about the axial skeleton mm -hmm. and um and what's inside the axial skeleton for the most part are organs and those organs are generally encased in sort of like fluid surrounded sacs. And these fluid surrounding sacs provide essentially like a frictionless environment for the organs to be able to, to move around in. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I was thinking it was almost like celestial bodies uh, existing in kind of like a, a frictionless environment in space. But, um, you know, uh, what, what you have is that... Um, your, your big internal organs, your guts, your heart, uh, those things, generally speaking, have attachment sites. Uh, their connective tissue attaches on the spine. So it's a posterior attachment for, for these, these things. And, um, you know, they're all influenced by gravity, and gravity is going straight down. But because there's hooks and ropes that attach to the back, they, they sort of fall, they, they like lean forward in, in many ways, if you can kind of picture that. Like if... If I was standing in a room and, and there was like a hook on my back and a rope attached to the wall and I just succumbed to gravity, I wouldn't fall straight down. I would be like leaning forward um, due, to the, due to that attachment site. Um, now, now what that causes is like a forward tumbling effect, you know, from a torque, a torque perspective. So the torque would be kind of like in a circular, um, you know, the, 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 the visual of torque is always a circle. So that circle would be arcing down and coming back towards the spine. Yeah. Um, and like, a, yeah, a circle that would just be kind of rolling forward or like a wheel, a bicycle wheel that's spinning forward would, would describe the torque of, uh, of the internal organs. Now, whenever you've got torque, you also have a resultant um, force as well. And that resultant force is, is called angular momentum. Mm -hmm. And angular momentum follows what's called the right hand rule. And um, so if, if you, if, you know, you can even take your right hand and if you picture your right hand going forward in a circle, kind of like if your right hand was a bicycle wheel, uh, you would see that your right thumb would be pointing to the left. And, and that's really what is meant by this right hand rule, that the direction of the thumb describes the direction that angular momentum goes in. Um, and, and this angular momentum as a resultant force is, um, is, is behaving, it's acting all the time inside your body on front, coming from this torque of the, the internal organs falling forward. So this angular momentum is always going to the left inside your body. And, um, and 
in many ways, like we use our, our muscles to move our skeleton to try to offset this, this angular momentum and this constant left-directed procession inside of our body. And, um, you know, it was just kind of interesting. Like if you look at pretty much all of the, the major soft tissues inside the body, like the brain, for instance, because this angular momentum goes all the way up to the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the brain is in a position that's referred to as uh, Yaakov Levian torque. And, you know, Yaakov Levian torque is, is essentially like, if you can picture someone reaching up inside your skull, grabbing your brain and giving it a counterclockwise twist, that's essentially the position that the brain's in. Um, you know, the right side of the brain is slightly more forward than the left side of the brain. Mm. Um, and and that's, that's kind of what's happening inside your body with your guts. It's kind of the rotation of the heart. Uh, all of these soft structures inside are, are constantly spinning and swirling left in this counterclockwise soup kind of turning. Um, but what we do from an outside perspective is we orient the skeleton to the right to try to block this. Otherwise, it would just drag you down over time. So we always compensate against this internal procession by you know, sort of shifting the left pelvis forward, the right pelvis back. The left rib cage is more flared and pronounced and going forward to offset this. It's like you're putting up blockers to stop this procession of fluid forces. But ultimately, what's, what's super interesting about this is where there are high levels of fluid that are taking up volume inside your body, you're unable to move your bones successfully in that direction. You know, so it's, it's, this, it's like two, two molecules can't exist in the same space at the same time kind of deal. Like if I've got something occupying space, I can't move into that space. There's a blocker. So, you know, in, in many ways, this model was based on understanding that, that there's stuff underneath the hood that's happening. And what's typically happening is that we're moving fluid and water into spaces. And when water is occupying these spaces, you're going to really struggle to move your bones into that same space. Um, And if you look at like the spaces where there isn't water and fluid occupying that space, you're going to be able to move your bones easily into that space. So the trick would be to be, to be able to manage your skeleton in ways or to, um, you know, utilize gravity in your advantage to be able to move fluid where you want it to be moved and where you don't want it to exist to be able to create movement in specific directions. Um, and, and, you know, the table test demonstrations with, with no interventions other than like to essentially just shift someone onto another side and you see them able to move their bones in ways that they couldn't previously. Um, it was, it was really, uh, impressive stuff. Um, and you know, above and beyond that, like, you know, Bill, Bill was talking about how, how biology is based on fractal relationships and that if you can understand one part of the system, you can, you can use that understanding to explain all parts of the system. Uh, you know, biology is based on simple rules repeating and that uh, those, those simple rules can oftentimes be clouded in what appears to be complexity. But if you're able to really keep digging down you'll be able to find those simple rules again, and they will explain what's going on. So, you know, 
the degree to which Bill went into detail on on how this applies to like you know the the scapula on the thorax, the thorax on the scapula, the elbow joint, the knee joint, um, you know, it was it was mind-boggling. Like I'm still I'm still trying to wrap my mind around everything that that we took from that and and then sort of seeing just you know relationships you know whether you want to call it tensegrity or, or whatever else but like you know in many ways why people would struggle uh coming out of a side on a on like a five ten five agility drill because they're unable to get their humerus into internal rotation and because that can't happen and other segments of the body can't get into the right positions and it was it was incredible you know he's he's really like i'm just always blown away by bill because it's like you know i feel like some people rest on their laurels like they've already learned so much information and they get to a certain point in their career and they kind of pack it in and and that guy just keeps keeps going deeper and harder and it's like um he's he's an inspirational person and he's also just like um he's a great human being like i i just can't can't imagine anybody like um finding much fault with that guy he's he does things for all the right reasons. You know, it's like he's, he's passionate about it. He, he's, he's the man. And, um, and, and that was an incredible weekend. Like, uh, I can't believe I had the, the opportunity to go to that. Um, and, and then with, uh, with Aaron the following week, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, with uh, like Gilbert Ling, who, mm -hmm. who um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it, just just so you know, I, I had Aaron Davis uh, on the podcast. So I spoke to him about three, four weeks ago. His episode's coming out soon. And uh, oh, fantastic! We, we we spoke all about fucking bioenergetics and energy systems and the Moxie unit and like it, like so this like similar to like Bill. Whenever I, whenever I speak to Bill or email Bill, like like and just uh, like you've alluded to there. Like Bill is so fucking far ahead that sometimes you're just like I am lost. I was like that with Aaron Davis. Yep. I'm like I am lost, <laughs> but it, yep. it's it's the good type of loss. You're like I'm learning. Yeah, man, Aaron's unbelievable. Like uh, unbelievable. God, it's it's kind of like you think you understand cellular physiology, and then you, you you hear that guy speak to you for like an hour, and you're like, mm -hmm. whoa. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I guess I have about eight books that I have to read um, to, to like kind of at least get on the same page as you. But you know what I loved about, about what he had to say? Cause I, I certainly won't try to like, you know, reiterate and, and, you know, summarize everything that Aaron Davis talked about. Cause I mean, the dude talked about things ranging from like, uh, you know, the, the, the science behind the fact that life probably started on land and moved into the water and came back to land and how we can use that understanding to, to appreciate like, uh, things regarding pH and ionic concentrations inside of cells and setting you up for success from that perspective, like to, you know, uh, when people are limited by their ability from a ventilation standpoint uh, to continue to exercise and what to do about it. And, you know, some people being uh, arterial occluders, venous occluders, non-occluders, you know, what that means from, from the perspective of like individualized and specific training. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, on a whole other level, but, but what I would, what, what I was fascinated with since it came a week after Bill's discussion was, um, was Aaron talking about, uh, water inside of cells and, and what that really means in terms of like what it sets you up for. And, um, and in a lot of ways, like, you know, he kind of talked about swollen cells versus non-swollen cells and how cell swelling 
is really going to shut down your ability to to utilize oxidative capabilities. Like you, you don't want too much water inside of cells. You certainly don't want no water inside cells, but but you need to have less than I think people would would think initially. And that water inside of cells, you know, the more water you've got inside a cell, the the more it's going to drive glycolytic behavior. And um, in many ways, like he was sort of saying that like. A big thing for him is the ability to utilize carbohydrates for energy. And when you're doing that, you're going to be creating uh, much more carbon dioxide. And that when carbon dioxide is moving out, see, I feel like the carbon dioxide bit was just such a big deal to me. Uh, when carbon dioxide is being produced inside, inside of cells and it starts moving out into the blood to be carried away, that's the big signal for releasing um, oxygen from hemoglobin molecules mm. and carbon dioxide is also this powerful attractor for water to move it out of cells so you know he he really just had this this big this big he hit me with so many like light bulb kinds of moments where carbon dioxide is such a driver for 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 factors now it's it's super interesting though because ultimately you can have you sort of want high amounts of carbon dioxide at the level of the blood around the working tissues, but you don't want to have excess carbon dioxide at the level of the alveoli um, because if you have too much carbon dioxide at the level of the alveoli, it creates an environment at the lungs that's too acidic and you're unable to load oxygen onto hemoglobin under those conditions. Like CO2 is the signal for oxygen to not be binding to hemoglobin molecules, which it's is the pore effect. Yeah, ideal at the level of the cell because I'm trying to unload as much oxygen as I can at the level of the cell, not so ideal at the level of the alveoli. Mm -hmm. So I really need to have incredible ability to blow off CO2. And um, the, the hard part is, let's say you're someone that's, that's put, that put on a lot of muscle mass, like you're going to be creating a lot of CO2 at the level of the tissue. Mm -hmm. uh, you might be creating so much that you can't get rid of it fast enough at the level of the lungs, and now you're unable to load enough oxygen onto hemoglobin molecules to be able to bring that to the working cells. So it's kind of like, that's what I meant by, are you ventilation limited? Uh, or is it like peripheral muscle limited? Um, you know, and, and, and for me and for a lot of the people that, that I'm friends with, like it's, it's every single time it's a ventilation limited issue. Um, and, and Aaron has the Spyro Tiger, the tool that he uses to train the, the, the fitness of the expiration muscles. Um, so he's got, you know, he's got a spirometer that he uses as a tool, uh, and he just compares ratios of lean body mass with spirometer measures. And if you're, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but, um, you got to be able to blow out a lot of air if you're, if you're put, if you have a lot of muscle mass on. And I love that he used kind of this term, like, uh, we, we want to turn your ventilatory muscles into a weapon for you. Um, because if, if you can... You, if you can move a lot of air, uh, you're capable of, of being able to accumulate a lot more volume, and, um, and now your fitness will not be limited by that. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Bill gave us a lot of reading going into the intensive, 
And, and one of the papers that he gave us to read was, uh, was Glazier's unified theory, um, what, the grand unified theory that, of, of that's sports a science. That's a brilliant paper. I read it, that, it really is. I read that when I was in Altus. It, it's an incredible paper. And, and it just, man, that, again, like, boom, like a major sort of light bulb moment. The only thing that matters is the limitations. You know, what's limiting you? And, and is, it, is, is there the possibility of changing what limits you? If we can move that needle of what limits you uh, to the right, well, then, then all of a sudden, like, that's going to open up so much stuff. It's just like, what's the thing that's limiting you? Is it like, uh, you know, the, the organism, the environment, or the task? So, um, you know, if it is the organism and it's a physiological constraint, well, do we, do we, can we identify what the constraint is? And Aaron's capable of identifying a lot of constraints through the MOXIE and the spirometer. And he's got a tool for you to be able to, you know, move your limiting factor. So again, like it was just like the one, two punch of those two weeks in a row was, was a major, like a lot of things popped in my head from, from that, from those two experiences. So just off those two weekends you spent with Bill and then Aaron, have, has anything in your mind shifted to like, like, is there anything from a programming standpoint you're starting to think about prescribing differently since those two weekends? That's a really good question. I, well, I would say, you know, I think the Spyro Tiger is a big deal from, you know, that, that was in terms of a takeaway, in terms of something I'm not doing or haven't really thought about, um, that's probably like the easiest low-hanging fruit actionable step. Um, you know, I, I've got one client I can think of in particular. Um, and again, I, I don't, I'm not working with, with athletes on a day-to-day. I, I would like it if I, got, if I started getting some coming to see me, but, you know, it just tends to be that they don't really live in New York City that much. Mm. Um, but you know, this guy, every time we try to do anything, that's a, you know, cardiovascular challenge. He definitely, he has a badly broken nose, but he always starts saying things like, I can't breathe. I just can't breathe. Like, you know, um, and, and it's sort of like, I, I look at this guy and, um, you know, the shape of his rib cage falls under kind of a category. Like this guy's sort of stuck in an inhale position and, he's just clearly someone that would benefit from this spyro tiger. You know, he, he's got to be able to improve the fitness levels of his exhalation muscles. And I, I think that that would probably, um, change that man's fitness capabilities dramatically. Um, could you explain just for the listeners and even for myself, um, what is the spyro tiger exactly? If, if, if you can, yeah. if you know yourself. Sure. I'll do my best. I haven't, I haven't actually used it, but I, yeah, I yeah. it's, you know, it's, um, it's a device. It's, it's kind of got like a plastic housing and then you can attach almost things that look like balloons on the end of it. So you would be exhaling into like a a plastic mouthpiece and you know, there it's, it's a, it's a high resistance bag that comes at the end of it. Mm. And it also has a nose clip, uh, but it, it's capable of measuring how much air you put into the, the balloon. There's different size balloons that it comes with. Um, and I, I think they have different levels of resistance, but it also measures the cadence that you're breathing with. So, you know, the goal for, for a lot of people would be, we need you to exhale more times per minute. 
and we need each exhale to be of, of more force and you need to put more air out with each one. So it gives you quantitative feedback on, on those two variables. And, um, you know, with, with the fact that you've, you're nose clipping people and you're inhaling the same air that you just exhaled into the balloon, it's going to build CO2 tolerance as well uh, because your, your, your uh, arterial saturation of oxygen is going to drop as you're inhaling more CO2 over time. So from a brain perspective, it's going to just give you, it's, you're going to spend more time in a high CO2 state which, um, you know, that's, that's part of kind of like the mental toughness part of, part of the life mm. or, or part of training. You know, that, that's probably more mental toughness than anything, just that people are unaccustomed to high CO2 environments. And, and when you exercise really hard, that's where you're going into. So if, if you can just be sitting or standing or doing something simple where, you know, you're, you're experiencing these CO2 environments, it's like a, a safe place for you to learn that that's an okay environment for you to exist in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, I, whatever you want to call it, lifting weights for your exhale, um, something along those lines. I, I think that in many ways, I, 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 I've been on the side of breathing where I'm teaching breathing from a positional standpoint and I'm teaching breathing from an accessing the autonomic nervous system standpoint, mm. but this is teaching breathing from the fitness side of things. Yes. Um, and I just think that's a big deal. Yeah. It's kind of adding that third dimension now. Mm -hmm. So I see there on Facebook recently, you have something big coming up with Ben house in Costa Rica. Cause the, and you, and like there's a criteria where people have to like, they have to send video of their, their 10 RMs in a squat and a bench. Yeah, so the next event that Ben's doing is going to be um, in Texas. It's going to be near San Antonio, Texas. Um, you know, there's a, there's a guy down there, Jack Wheeler, and um, he's, he's an awesome dude. He's like, you know, mutual friends with, with a lot of people from that area. I've, I've hung out with Jack a few times. He's just like super cool guy. Uh, he and his family have Wheeler Ranch down there. And, um, apparently it's just, that this, like, sounds so cool. Wheeler yeah. Yeah, man. And I, I guess like, you know, cause I, like Ben's, Ben's really like, uh, done, done some seminars and events at some really cool places. And like his place down in Costa Rica is super badass. And you know, when, when Ben says things, says things like, dude, you have no idea how cool Wheeler Ranch is. You know, I'm like, okay, well I can't wait to see this place. Um, but it's, it's going to be, um, it, it's, it's essentially like, uh, you know, I know he wants to keep it sort of within the, the, the smart strength and conditioning and nutrition community, you know what I mean? So it's not like, I, I feel like CrossFit is sort of like for, for pretty much everybody, like you could just go to a CrossFit, like you could train and compete in the CrossFit games or something like that. But this is more within the community of, of coaches and uh, rather than, than just regular people. But uh, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, he wants there to just be training camps and, um, and like, and like semi-competitive lifting environments for, for people in our world uh, as, as almost like getaways where we can still have that, that involved with it. So uh, you could think of this one as like, um, like, the, like a bro vacation where it's not so much based on continuing education, but just going and like training hard. And, and he's kind of got the schedule mapped out for each day. Like it sort of starts off with like, 
you know, group breakfast, uh, creative writing, um, you know, then there's training. Um, and after that you can do activities. I think there's like pistol shooting, archery, um, like games, hiking, uh, you know, then it's lunch. Um, you know, you can hang out on your own dinner, um, evening meditation, and then like, you know, playing cards, poker, um, or just like, you know, we always play, play games and stuff like that after that Jenga or, or whatever, you know, just hanging out, having a good time. Like, you know, there's always like a, a big fire or something. And, um, you know, like uh, there's, there's multiple houses on Wheeler Ranch. So it'd be kind of like, you'd have your own, your own spot. Like for this one, it's like, bring your, bring your lady if you got one. And, um, everybody just, it's like a communal experience. You hang out. It's, 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 uh, it's a great time. So, you know, like he's going to have a few of those every year, like, uh, probably one in the States and one in Costa Rica. You know, it's, it's sort of like the, the last one that he had in Costa Rica was much more focused on continuing education. Um, and, and, and that's cool, but you know, just having the opposite is, is also, I think really important so that like, uh, so you can just live it rather than talk about it. Just moving on to, I have a few questions here in my head. We spoke a little bit about mastery the last day. Um, mm -hmm. Any more progress or I suppose to has the weekends with Bill and Aaron, have they changed anything that you were thinking about putting into mastery? You know, I, I still have to like write the damn thing. And, I know that, um, and I, I know that cause like, it's, yeah. You, as, you, as you alluded to, this is going to be the long, long game. Like, you know, you were saying like, this is going to, because I, I remember one of the last questions I asked in our previous conversation was like, are you, are you going to like, are you going to like help people with withdrawal symptoms from mass? You know, because you were yeah. saying that, you know, after you do mass, it's kind of like, Oh, it's, I, it's, I'm at the top of the mountain and I don't know what to do now. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, it's, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like with, with Aaron's stuff, you know, it's, he's looking at real time data and, and, you know, a lot of times he's able to see like, you know, like don't, 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 it's almost like if you're injured, don't tell him anything, mm. let him just put the moxie on you and, and see what the moxie says. And then he can kind of guess like, Oh, you got right knee pain or something like that. Um, and, and he'll see it because like, you know, the, the muscle isn't, fully saturated with oxygen, oxygen. At, at rest yeah. and um and then like well when you try to go to exercise it can't even fully desaturate yeah. and it's kind of like uh well why is that the case you know but but he'll be able to to train you in a way that would you know bring that muscle back to full oxygenation and and you can see it on the screen you can see the data um that so is, it's it's th that is fucking amazing. I just want to say like that is so important for like return to performance protocols. The moxie is a big deal, man. I think it's like from a training standpoint, like uh, it, it, you know, how do you know you're training the right muscle? Like, well, that thing would tell you in in real time. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's probably better than EMG. Uh, to tell you the truth, from the standpoint of of whether or not you know that you're getting at a muscle. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like, cause EMG is like, I don't know if you've ever run one of those things, but it's a mess. Like the, it's the noisiest piece of equipment you've ever seen in terms of like, you need like a special person. That's like an EMG reader to tell you what the hell you're looking at on the screen with the Moxie. It, it couldn't be easier. It's like the most clear cut, obvious lines in the world. Um, and, and people can feel it like they, 
like you, you sort of intuitively know at a certain point, like if you're cycling at a, at a high intensity, like when you get to the point where it's just absolutely awful, you can look at the screen and be like, oh yeah, that's where I just ran out of oxygen. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's, that's amazing, but how do I do that in a book that I'm hoping to sell to thousands of people uh, who probably don't have a moxie? You know, is there, yeah. you know, it, this is going to be like the cheesiest line of all time, but is there a proxy for the moxie? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I think, you know, in, in truth, like good programming, it's, it's kind of like what Co Coach Boyle has been saying for a long time, like good, well-rounded programming oftentimes takes care of, of all of these things that we can get hyper-focused on. Mm. Um, and, and it's sort of like, you know, if, if all you ever do is, is high-intensity stuff, well, then you're probably going to shift those cells away from being able to, like, rely on oxygen. And, um, you know, so it's – I think that if you do things – like, <clears throat> I think we, we talked a little bit about, about the articles that I wrote uh, for Carl Valley's site, like the objective biomechanics approach to, to program design. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, you know, if I'm looking at the kinetic side of the puzzle and, and I just quantify it as, as like load, velocity, and duration, if I'm doing things for the big movement patterns that are of, you know, different kinds of duration levels, uh, I, you know, at a certain point, like you, you have to be in this oxidative realm if the duration for an activity is like is, is over two minutes, give or, you know, like Maybe for some people it would, it would be higher, but if I'm doing an activity that is five to ten minutes straight, like you know, I have to be going at an intensity level from a loading and velocity standpoint, where where oxygen is the key player. So, <clears throat> is is it is it perfect? No, but I think as long as I'm including something that that gives people the opportunity to make muscles work for different time lengths, I'll I'll probably be be hitting the appropriate things. I actually have a question here for you. About, yeah. About, uh, <coughs> I'm just pulling something up here about, uh, kinetics and kinematics, kinetics and kinematics, which obviously I did a ton on in my, um, oh, what's this in my, uh, masters. Sorry. And I'm just pulling something up because you're just, just a question for you. Uh, I thought velocity was a kinematic uh, variable. Um, I mean, I, I just divided it from the perspective because I think that when you really get into the minutia of these definitions, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, they're going to cross over and, and all that. I, I just if if I could have called it quality versus quantity, that probably yeah. would have been been even better. But you know, it sounds more official if, if you if you say kinematics and kinetics. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I really just, just just went from like, you know, what's what kind of shape is the body making? Yeah. Um, and and what what direction is the is the shape moving in? Um, and and is this like a, a a common pattern of movement? You know that that you see over and over again. Yeah, that's yeah. that's really what I was thinking. So yeah. and and then like, what's how can we measure the shape? and the direction of this movement and, and like load velocity and duration to, to me were just the three easiest things to measure. So I, 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 if it, if it would make people feel more, more comfortable, I think quality versus quantity 
is probably a better better descriptor or maybe a more accurate descriptor yeah yeah so like uh what i what i have here on my text here is in you makes makes perfect sense the kinematics the study of descriptors of movement and it says includes velocity acceleration displacement time vectors and mm. angles and then kinetics is the study of the forces that cause the motion and then it's just as examples torque gravity friction impulse momentum work and power but that's why yeah because i see a lot of people sometimes use velocity for both and i was always thought velocity was a kinematic variable because it, it goes displacement which then and then the first derivative of displacement then is velocity then it's acceleration then jerk and joust and stuff like that and i was just wondering i was just wondering like you yeah. answered, you answered my questionnaire you were just saying it just makes sense to you in your head i didn't know if it was another anyway that, that, that question was just pretty for me but yeah uh, it's, it's tough like you know when you think about it like when you've got a velocity taking place in front of you yeah. well the, the thing that's moving at a velocity the only way that that velocity was created was through force mm. um so yeah, it's, it's just yeah. it's it's also intertwined i can remember uh <clears throat> you know i was i was the the chair for sam Leahy's master's thesis and um you know, he had an unusual study from the perspective that he wasn't really doing an experiment. Um, you know, he, he basically, he, he, he had a uh, kind of like a, like a thorn in his side in regards to using the term power for things along the lines of vertical jumping. Hmm. And, um, you know, he was sort of saying like the big, the big variable for explaining how high someone can jump is impulse. And, um, and, and, you know, it's sort of like the more that you dig into these mathematical definitions of things like power and force and impulse and momentum, it's this sort of like incestuous relationship in many ways. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're all so intertwined with each other. Um, you know, mass and acceleration are the two, the two ones that seem to like live in almost every one of those definitions. It's like, how are those two things being manipulated in, in some way, shape, or form? Um, and what was really interesting, like I, I can remember this, it was, it was ironic with his findings from his study that uh, power was actually, like the correlation for power with vertical jump in his study was like a near perfect 1.0, and it was, higher, it was higher than impulse. And I remember him trying to write up this study and explain that away. And I was like, no, 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 you can't do that, my friend. Like, the data rules all. You have to report on the data. Uh, I think he was pretty upset that, that, like, you know, him going into it, he wanted power to, like, to really not, not test out so well and impulse to test out perfectly. And it actually poor, went exactly poor the, science, poor science. It went exactly the opposite way. <laughs> That's gas. Can't be lying so you can't approach your data. <laughs> well, talk to most people who work for farmer and they'll, they'll tell you that uh, they do they do exactly that. Yeah, exactly. Well, they'll just retest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever see the Ben Goldacre. He's the guy who's wrote, he he um he wrote the book Bad Science, and he's another book called Bad Pharma. And like, you want to just he touches on it in Bad Science, but and obviously Bad Pharma is all about it. But he's just like you want to you want to see like what they do just to like get papers published to prove like to, to like to, to prove the outcomes that they want even though they're absolute complete lies like the horse like how they spin a paper to make the to make the results look positive and it's just like it's just outrageous what they do like well i i our, our friend mr Leahy uh might be a great contender for a pharmacology company uh, as, a, <laughs> as an employee then 
Uh, right, well, we have a hard stop in 15 minutes. And what I wanted to ask you now was, what are you currently studying now? Like, what is, what's really been your, in your area of interest? Because I, um, I know you well, and you all go through these periods of time, these periods where you go deep down rabbit holes. I know roughly around this time last year, I mean, you were going big into like the brain and neuroscience and dopamine. Um, and then you kind of evolved then into more evolution. You were looking at like how chewing had a big impact, I think, on like human evolution and like yep. and dental arches and stuff like that. Where where has your mind been lately? So I just started reading the book Anti Fragile by Nassim Talib. Ah, and Talib, um, yeah. yeah, and uh, it's it's super cool because you know I, I think what I've what I've been into lately are kind of some of these like whether you want to call it grand unifying theories or like more holistic models or, or something. But, um, you know, I, I, I ordered, you know, the other book I'm going to get is, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's, it's based on this constraints model, like motor learning constraints model. It's got like some kind of a green cover. Uh, I can't like, I'm so bad. Like I've ordered so many books, like I can't remember what the titles of the authors are, but, um, you know, that grand unifying theory, that Glazier article, like really got my brain pumping from the perspective of like noticing this, this big concept that, that applies in so many areas and that it's constraints that, Mm -hmm. that, uh, that really like, um, if you can find the constraint, then either you can do something about that constraint or you can't, Mm um, you know, uh, when it comes to this anti-fragile concept, it, I, have you read this book at all? I have anti-fragile, but I haven't read it. But what I will say is I've read a shit ton of skill acquisition books, and that's all about the constraint-based approach. Or the yeah. constraint-led approach. So I've read a lot about environment, task, and organism. Like I'm fascinated with skill acquisition right now. Like I, I, I'll let you speak now because um, I'm trying not to speak and let you speak as much as possible. But yeah. Uh, the when i got into skill acquisition pat i was like at first i was like oh this is born this, this is going to be born that was my mindset and then when i got into the rabbit hole i was like this fucking whole field is fascinating and it's connecting so many dots but yeah go yep. ahead so the this notion of anti-fragility is super cool mm. uh because i feel like he he uses it as something that that ties together it explains so much across the board and, and I believe his background is in, econo- is in economics and, mm-hmm. and understanding the, the market. Um, and, you know, he kind of starts off this book, and I'm, I'm not that far into it, um, you know, probably a quarter of the way, but sort of distinguishing between living organisms and inanimate objects and from this concept of anti-fragility. So there's a spectrum that he would <clears throat> present going from fragile on one side, anti-fragile on the other, and then like resilient or robust in between those two things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like it's, it's in, in relationship to stressors being applied. <clears throat> so like inanimate objects can either be fragile or resilient. Um, you know, it's breakable or non-breakable uh, in the application of stress to it. Living organisms have the potential to be anti-fragile, which means that if stress is applied to them, they can actually become more, they can become negative fragile. They can get better. Um, It's just how much stress and there needs to be, I mean, it's the most basic exercise science principle in the world. 
you know, how much stress, and then there needs to be this time where they are allowed to rest and recover um, to be able to build above and beyond that. Uh, but the fact that it's kind of like an economist talking about this stuff and, and saying that it's tying together pretty much, uh, like because the, the market, the stock market is sort of this living organism in many mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. it, it, doesn't, it can't be treated the same way as a rock or a you know, piece of China or something like that. That in fact, like from a business standpoint, um, you know, it's, it's weird too, because it's it, like he's, but part that I'm in right now is almost talking about like the concept of restaurants and that each individual restaurant needs to be fragile. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to open up your own restaurant if you're an entrepreneur. Chances are it's going to go out of business. It's not going to work. But if each individual restaurant is fragile, the entire concept of restaurants becomes more and more anti-fragile, mainly because you can learn from the mistakes of the individual problem. Yeah. So, you know, he was talking about like how airplane crashes, each individual airplane crash is an opportunity for airlines to learn from the mistake. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it makes airlines better at not having problems. So airlines become more anti-fragile with essentially the more airplane crashes there are. Uh, the Titanic sinking made sort of like transcontinental uh, ship travel more anti-fragile because we learned from this colossal mistake. Uh, and inside your body, it's the same thing. Like we need autophagy of cells uh, so that essentially we're kind of culling the weak cells so that you have like a greater percentage ratio of stronger cells. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's essentially evolution. Like you need the weak members of the species to die off so that more of the remaining members of the species um, are stronger so yeah. that your species is ultimately more anti-fragile. So it's this very interesting relationship of the individual versus the collective. And it spread across the board. In, like nature, I think he, he has this great term, like nature is like ruthless and uh, unemotional and, and will just like wipe out every, every weak one like in the most cold-hearted manner possible. But it does it because it's always looking to make the whole more anti-fragile. Um, so it, it's, just, it's just kind of like, I mean, it makes you question a lot of things. It almost sounds like, like Nazism or something like that in some ways. Um, like I, but, I, a lot of people speak about that with reaction oxygen species and antioxidants are saying that's, the, yep. that's actually why antioxidants can be detrimental because you need some reactive oxygen species and oxidative stress to actually kill off mutated cells so that the strong totally. can survive. It also speaks to, uh, this was something that, that a number of speakers in Costa Rica touched upon, uh, you know, hypercaloric diets uh, versus hypocaloric diets and, and fasting, fasting protocols where, um, you know, you, if like hypercaloric diets will in many ways reduce this autophagy um, principle and, and will kind of like nudge you in the direction of like insulin resistance and, and in many ways things that you would think of as lack of health, but they also get you jacked, you know, you get huge, you get strong, but you, you might be moving towards unhealthy. Um, you know, versus like if you have a fasting period or a, a you know a hypocaloric diet, you're going to ultimately have greater autophagy 
and you're going to slough off more weak cells so that the remaining cells as a collective are stronger. And it also seems to be an environment for, for greater mitochondrial proliferation as well and, and oxidative health. But um, it's, it's, it's very interesting that this, is, that this guy is basically saying that this seems to be like a unifying principle that from a biological perspective uh, is a big deal. I had Miladin Janovic on my podcast last year, and I don't know if do you do you know Miladin or know of him? I I, I know of him. I've never never yeah. met him or spoken well, to him. You two would fucking get on like a house of fire because you're both absolute geniuses. But he um he was speaking about um anti fragile. He, he he's read a lot of Taleb's work, and uh, he was speaking then about like Ray Dalio and a lot of like um financial investors. Um, mm-hmm. and I had actually read Tony Robbins' book too, Money Master the Game. And, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is you can take principles from economics that apply to training. And one thing Maladin spoke about, and, and I could resonate with this because I had read it in Money Master the Game, was they talk about like you know your, your financial portfolio and your investments mm. that you want to like have it spread out among, among many, um, many investments rather than putting all your eggs into one basket because obviously if that fucking implodes you're fucked from a financial standpoint whereas you know if one thing goes down and decreases something else could compensate for it and Maladin um, Maladin basically saw that principle um, when you look at vertical integration and training so the idea of always keep a thread of, of everything in your program at all times but you, you know you play the game of emphasis and de-emphasis in terms of like whatever you have to focus on instead of like the old classical stage or true block model where you just train one specific capacity at the detriment of others and you know so everything wastes weight whereas if you train in a more complex or complex parallel model um but yet you know you just kind of you're just kind of like skewing the ratios he was like that's exactly the exact same thing uh with your portfolio like in terms of economic principles so he was just you know he was like kind of marrying or merging the same thought process together which is quite interesting but it just goes to show like you can like i speak about this with jane smith the more you can understand like first principles just the more sense the world's gonna make that's why i was kind of laughing when you said jim ferris says physics first because that's where my mind has been lately because like it's just like biology but then chemistry which is then physics which is then maths and it's just like unified theories everywhere yeah, it's it's it is funny how that works, and you know, like you got a guy like Jack Cruz that always talks about biophysics, uh, um, yeah. you know, and 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 Davis, Aaron Davis is on a similar similar front in terms of just talking about the shape of respiratory proteins inside of mitochondria and just on hap- haplotypes and just on Aaron Davis. I think you read this book. Did you read Nick Lane's book, The Vital Question? I did, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so like, I remember you were talking about, uh, I meant to say this to you again, and I wanted to, um, again, I'm trying to get better letting people like finish their top four interrupt. Um, <laughs> I, I did a little, bit, a little bit better today. Um, no, you're fine. It's the right pace for me. So <laughs> I, I, I never have a problem with it. I'm the same, yeah. But uh, in that book, just when you said Davis was kind of thinking about, you know, life starting on land, then went to ocean, then went back. Because obviously in Lane's book, he talks about, you know, life starting with the thermal events, uh, uh, hydrothermal events. Yep. Um, so like, just for the listeners, I'm like, 
I'm nowhere near smart as Pat Aaron or obviously Nick Lane but the, one of the basic premises of Nick Lane's book is that we had this acidic ocean and at the bottom we had this more alkaline uh, vents in terms of the pH you're in and these alkaline vents allowed carbon dioxide and hydrogen to, to react because apparently they don't react in regular pH settings so mm. the pH down there allowed them to react and this set up a, a proton gradient which is what we see in mitochondria which, which yep. is what Nick Lane believes in eventually evolved to be like energy production mitochondria it was interesting at the start of aaron's seminar like he he asked the question where did life start and i sort of raised my hand and i went with the nick lane answer I just heard and, um, good. yeah so i mean like uh you know and and he he's familiar with that yeah. um and I, I i said it's either that or on rocks from meteors amino acids carried and i think he's more on that that side of things I, I don't know exactly where his answer comes from, but I know it's based on ratios of potassium mm. uh, compared to sodium, I believe. Um, and that it's sort of like if you look at, can't even, I can't remember exactly what he was, something terrestrial has mm. like the 30 to 1 potassium to sodium ratio, and then the ocean is like uh, 10 to 1 or something along those lines. So it's it's kind of like, the cell has the same potassium to sodium ratio as terrestrial. And so that's why he's saying that life would have started on land um, as opposed to in, in the ocean. Um, I was just going to say, imagine getting Bill and Aaron in the one room. <laughs> well, as soon as I finished that seminar, I sent a text to Bill and I was like, you need to hang out with this dude, Aaron Davis. Like you need, you need to, like yeah. both of you guys need to hang out with each other for a weekend and like just see what happens he was on mike's podcast mike robertson so i'm sure bill is aware if he's 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 aware he's definitely aware yeah he's very good friends with eric otter is aaron davis yeah did did, did bill speak about the sodium potassium pump and his thoughts on that he didn't get into that you know aaron did and i know he's he's of that uh gilbert ling mindset where there's there's not enough atp uh, to actually be able to power what we believe are the number of sodium potassium pumps. I've, I've read the majority of Ling's book. I, I read it when I was too young. I didn't fully understand it. I, mm, I have to go back and, and reread that at some I hear point. Tough, I hear it's a tough read. I hear Jared Pollock's four-phase water is an easier introduction. Yeah. Um, it's a, it, Ling's book is brutally difficult because, I mean, he starts it off with this very easy explanation of uh, accepted sodium potassium pump cell theory. Um, that, so he's basically saying like, listen, I get it. I know the model. Here's what my data is suggesting actually exists. And he's got the association induction hypothesis and saying that the cell is, is colloidal in nature and that it's based on attractor states with water and being able to move water in, in a specific direction, um, and to maintain gradients, uh, but that it happens much more automatically than we think. And that, ATP is this great regulator molecule as opposed to necessarily like a, the, the energy substrate of the cell. But, uh, you know, his data would suggest that we would need like 300 times more ATP than we currently have to power a sodium potassium pump cellular model. But there's also people that are in the sodium potassium pump theory model that are super smart that are able to contend with that Ling argument. So, I, I don't know. Like it, ultimately, it's it's just kind of like one of these things where hey, if you've got this tool that's capable of measuring things, 
and we can look at it in real time and, and the predictions that you're making are, are panning out, then, then that's awesome. I, like th if the theory matches and the mechanisms match, um, that's fine. But like, as long as the data is, 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 um, is helpful. And I, I like the Moxie because it's not too difficult to use. It's actually super easy to use. You throw a patch on the muscle and, and you can read the damn screen. Like I can read the screen because if the thing isn't easy to use and I can't read the screen, I've got no time for it. It's just like, Oh God, forget it. Like, let me just watch it with my coaching eye because it's never, it's never been bad in the past. Um, you know, so it's, it's, but what I like is the fact that like, you don't need to have a really good coaching eye and you can just look at this thing. I could, I, I would imagine that in five or six generations of Moxie technology improving, there will probably be like a full body suit and you could have a screen up there on the wall that could show you what's happening in all the muscles. And then from a constraints theory purpose, you could see which muscle is not holding up its end of the bargain. Damn you, Latissimus. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, wrapping up here because you have to go. You have a client in an hour and you got to yep. make, make your journey there. Um, first off, just on the Gilbert Ling, it just made me think of Peter Mitchell. And, you know, he, you know, he, he, he came up with the fucking um, semi-osmosis, uh, you know, concept back in 61. Um, like, just like, like, how do people even like, get to those concepts or ideas it just boggles my mind but i want to finish off with something exciting for you pat so mm. uh now this this is just it might never happen but uh, uh a well-known education organization over here in in ireland uh, i was contacted by a guy who, who run who's like the head of it and he said to me uh, i want you to put a list of all the top minds together in the following medicine and health and wellness so that that was one he goes medicine health and wellness is one nutrition strength and condition rehab and uh i put that uh, your name is there so is ben house and so is like uh, jack cruz and bill hartman they're all in there so he's gonna try he's gonna see if 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 he can make it happen well you know i i want to return to the motherland um i i have not ever been to ireland so i that's that's definitely a place where i would love we'll, to go. we'll go we'll go search for your neanderthal ancestors well every time i've like ever seen on TV, the Irish national rugby team. I'm like, those are all like my cousins or something. Like they all have the same <laughs> mi misshaped head as me, weird body and crooked teeth. Uh, so it's, it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> it's just really, it's funny to see so many other humans that look like me when I don't get to see them very often. Um, but I would, I, that's, that's amazing. And uh, uh, like, it's an honor to hear my name amongst those other other individuals. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'll send you, I'll, I'll send you the list and see who's it. Like, there's tons of people now. Like, you obviously won't buy them all, but like, you guys were at the top of it. Like, so, um, actually, like, the, it was like I think I had Jack Cruz down, and then straight away it was Ben House and you underneath. <laughs> that's that's pretty solid, man. Yeah. So come here, listen. I let you go. Um, as always. I fucking love you, my man. Uh, I absolutely love speaking uh, to you. It's an absolute pleasure. I wish I could do this every single day, to be honest, because the amount of just learning and then just dots being connected in my head and then obviously the benefit for everyone listening. So uh, I really appreciate making the time. And so hey. listen, I'll be in touch about our next uh, rendezvous, my man. I like it. And super mutual on all of those those areas. So I appreciate you. I love you, man. All right. Take care and have a safe trip across town, right? All right, Robbie. All right. See you, bud. All right, everyone, what did I tell you? A savage episode with Pat Davidson. 
Thank you so much for giving us your earbuds. And until next time, take care, be well, and stay strong. Thank you.